Hey everybody. Welcome to My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. My name is Patrick. I'm the host of your podcast. And uh, happy to have you joining me here on uh, Case of the Mondays, Monday, December 4th. A little reminder, I got a website called MyCheeseheadLife.com. You can email the show, info at MyCheeseheadLife.com. I have a couple of social media handles out there. On X, it's uh, at MyCheeseheadPod. And then Insta is MyCheeseheadInsta. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for joining me. Kind of a back-to-back deal here. I was uh, I, I did a, a rare upload yesterday on Sunday ahead of the the big you know football action day, uh, Packers and all that of course going on, and um, so yeah, spinning back around here right away on uh, case of the Mondays to kind of recap everything that took place yesterday. And boy, what a day it was uh, over there at Lambeau Field. Uh, of course, you know, Packers played the Chiefs. Uh, anybody who's a Packer fan probably knows all that by now. And uh, thought it'd be kind of fun to use an intro song there. I just went to my my music deal there and searched Kansas City, and I, I kind of remembered that song uh, from hearing it in the past. And I thought, well, let's just use kind of a Kansas City song here to to start today's show. Uh, so that was Fats Domino, uh, a cover actually. Uh, the song is called Kansas City. And in, in case that wasn't really clear from you know some of the lyrics there. Um, but yeah, that's a Fats Domino cover of a Little Willie Littlefield song. Yeah, it's called Kansas City. Yeah, we get it, Fats. Got it. Um, anyways, uh, the original is from 1952, and it looks like, according to the internet, that is a cover uh, by Fats Domino from 1964. Um, so yeah, a little, little new intro song, and then... Uh, not a lot of oddball items. We'll pretty much just focus on Packer talk here today. A little recap of uh, the NFL action yesterday. And then also um, take a look at what we'll talk about on Wednesday for, for Hump Day. Hopefully you can, can stay on schedule this week and uh, you know do a, do a Hump Day helmets look around the league. So without a lot of uh, oddball stuff to talk about and you know mostly talking about the game, I thought we could just do a real quick installment here. I, I took a, another uh, page out of... Uh, that book I mentioned a few episodes back, old Esquire, you know, kind of novelty, you know, bathroom reader book I was given back in 05. Uh, Things a man should never do past 30. Now, I've only read like one other page on, on, on the show here, and I had a couple of objections on that page. Uh, you know, things that they said you shouldn't do, and, and I didn't necessarily agree with that. But here, this page that I, you know, I basically just thumbed through a, a random page, and this is what we're going to read, and, and I have no objections, and these will go pretty quickly. Uh, so yeah, from this Esquire book, things a man should never do past 30, uh, steal from his father. So yeah, I, I don't know that you would stop, you know, like 30 is a cutoff for that. I mean, just maybe never do that. Uh, use body parts as surrogate ventriloquist dummies. So I, I don't know where that comes from. So we'll just leave that one alone. Lie to his mother. Uh, again, something that, you know, I wouldn't say is acceptable at any age, but for sure stop doing it after 30, I guess, according to this book. Uh, and then and this one kind of made me chuckle. Uh, flip to the quote unquote B side of his underwear. And that I absolutely agree with too. Uh, so there you go. Another quick installment from an old book of things a man should never do past 30. Get rid of that for now. Uh, cause we got plenty of, uh, Packer talk. So if you, if you tuned into me yesterday, uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, thanks anybody for listening, by the way, if you, if you think, if you're 
kind enough, go ahead and give me a follow or, you know, share with friends and family. Appreciate that. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if you listened to me yesterday, anyways, you, you know, that kind of the big news was that I was headed to Lambeau field and, and got to enjoy that game in person yesterday. Uh, again, this is, uh, my cheese had life, a Packer fan podcast. So, uh, not, not much better you can do as a Packer fan than, than go watch a game in person at Lambeau and even better when you get a victory. Um, so we might get a little tired of Todd Rundgren today, but I don't care. We're going to lean into it. Uh, we'll just, you know, start off the show kind of with a little bit of, uh, I don't want to work. Just bang my drum because we saw a few touchdowns yesterday. Got to hear this song a few times in the stadium. Uh, so that was a, a really great night, really fun time at Lambeau last night. Uh, my buddy Neil joined me. Uh, Neil is a listener of the show. So thank you, Neil. Appreciate you listening and appreciate you uh, making the trip up and, and joining me at the game last night. That was a lot of fun. You know, I'm not real big on having my phone out during the game. Uh, I like to just kind of focus on the whole scene, the atmosphere, but I did upload a couple pics to my Instagram account. Uh, you know, really just early in the game when they're doing some of the intros and stuff. I have a video from, uh, the introductions as well. Like some of the scene at Lambeau, it, you know, kind of similar to what I have on the website from the Thursday night game against the Lions. Uh, but I'll see if I can get that little 30 second video up on the website here this week uh, to just see kind of what what the atmosphere was like at Lambeau Field. If you've never been there, uh, it was pretty electric last night. Um, you know what a difference a month makes, right? You know, I, I wasn't sure if I'd want to go to any more games this year, but I knew I knew for sure I wanted to go see Kansas City defending Super Bowl champions Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's already turned into kind of one of the all time greats at quarterback. So. Always nice when you can kind of check some of those boxes of uh, uh, seeing an opponent like that. Uh, historical team, you know, lots lots of history between the Chiefs and the Packers and the, and the first Super Bowl, all that good stuff. Uh, so this was one I definitely had circled on the calendar uh, to make sure I was able to get to. And, and, and glad I did, obviously, because it was a great night. We had a pretty efficient setup on parking. Going back a few episodes, uh, once, maybe it was that Detroit game even. Talked about running into an old friend from 20 years ago, Elliot, uh, who lives not too far from the stadium. So I, I, I reached out to Elliot, and he let me park uh, at his house in his driveway there. Uh, so that was really nice and convenient. Saved a few bucks. Thank you, Elliot, uh, very much. Not sure if you're always listening or not, but uh, he was out there uh, doing good work, salting the streets for the, the residents in Green Bay. So appreciate your efforts there, Elliot. And he also gave me my, my initial heads up that he had heard about Taylor Swift being at the stadium. So... Uh, more than just parking, Elliot adds a lot of value. So thank you, Elliot. And then, um, you know, big talk always, you know, Wisconsin Lambeau night game, and they want to see that snow and the whole atmosphere December game. Uh, so yeah, it was snowing pretty good in the morning. We, we had some heavy packy snow here in Northeast Wisconsin, and then it was warm enough that none of, none of the snow really stuck to the ground during the day. It was almost kind of like a mist or a rain. Uh, and then, you know, a little concern when, when you're getting the boots on at the car and making the way to the stadium, uh, kind of slick on the sidewalks, all that, you know, kind of that, that little slime of, of snow and sl- snow and slush, uh, accumulating and all the packing down of all the people walking on it. So I was kind of wondering like how, how, uh, ugly it might be trying to get home. But actually by the time we were sitting down the snow and, and whatever mist or, or precipitation pretty much stopped. And, um, it was, it was just really, you know, about a perfect night in December to be at Lambeau, about 30 degrees, not much wind really. Um, you know, so I don't think, you know, the overall temperatures were much of a factor. Uh, also kind of wondering, or just notice that, you know, of how many games you've seen where, uh, the opponents or even sometimes the Packer players, you know, have a little 
problem with the traction at Lambeau and slipping and sliding. Uh, didn't really see much or any of that last night. So whatever they were doing with the field and all the precipitation that was coming in on, on Sunday uh, must have held up pretty well because, you know, there wasn't really hardly, I don't know if there was one official fumble. Um, there might have been one I think the Chiefs recovered. Uh, not a lot of slippage of the players running around out there. Uh, so overall, a, a pretty clean-looking game and, and, and great atmosphere there at Lambeau Field. Um, the National Anthem, God, I, I, I didn't jot down or, or recall who, who sang it, but uh, a guy, I think he's pretty well-known, big voice, uh, did a great job on the National Anthem. But this was something that I never knew really existed or, you know, at least by having a pretty good pretty good presence of Chiefs fan, Kansas City Chiefs fans at the stadium. Um, when you get to the end of the song... And they say, like, you know, in the land of the free, home of the brave. Uh, apparently, uh, the Chiefs fans uh, have their own lyric. And, you know, we had a couple of Chiefs fans sitting near us. And, I, like I said, I didn't know this uh, existed or was kind of their own thing. But instead of saying land of the free, home of the brave, they say home of the Chiefs. So, I don't know. I, I'm not a... I don't think it takes too much to just stand there a couple minutes and listen to the anthem. And, I don't know. I, I just... To me, that was a little bit surprising, you know, that, you know, there's always so much talk about, you know, being respectful of the anthem and the flag and all that stuff. And here, you know, the pretty much you could hear that low murmur throughout the stadium of all the Chiefs fans when it gets to that last lyric and it says, home of the Chiefs, you know, like, all right, whatever. So that's the thing the Chiefs fans do is they finish that song by saying Chiefs. Uh, and a couple of Chiefs fans in front of us were like, are we going to do it? Are we going to say Chiefs at the end? I think we should. Uh, you know, I think, uh, all right, you know, whatever. So they made a big deal out of it kind of in front of us as to whether or not they'd say it. Um, and, and so that's the thing I learned is that uh, the Chiefs fans have their own version of the national anthem, apparently. And then speaking of Chiefs fans, um, I recorded this. I don't know if I'll actually put it out online or anything, but yeah, there was uh, the Tomahawk Chop was in full effect in the concourse. So it's kind of getting a little bit like, it's kind of like that Detroit game. Lots of uh, opposing fans here at Lambeau Field. And then there was a pretty good group of Chiefs guys walking through doing the tomahawk chop. Uh, the upper level, we were kind of hanging out a little bit before kickoff. And uh, got to see that little mini parade of Chiefs fans go by. And they seem nice enough. I mean, I've been at games enough over the years that there's been a you know probably a couple Chiefs games that I've been to at Lambeau. And uh, their fans, a little bit I've interacted, have always seemed pretty nice, pretty awesome. Uh, you know, almost, you know, like a AFC equivalent of the Green Bay Packers and, and their types of fans, you know, they love their tailgating and stuff. And, you know, I didn't see really too much shenanigans going on at the stadium. Like, you know, the Detroit game was maybe a little more rowdy because the rivalry stuff. Um, I did see one potential fight, but uh, everybody went their, their separate ways. And that was right as the game was ending and people were trying to get their way out. And, uh, and one Packer fan was yelling at a Chiefs fan, well, come on, let's go, come on. And so whatever they were saying to each other uh, apparently got some tempers flaring, but nothing happened there. Chiefs fan went down the stairs, Packer fan went up the stairs to exit, uh, so they uh, went their separate ways. And, of course, you know, big news uh, all over, kind of a, you know, celebrity sightings. It's amazing, you know, small town Green Bay. Um, but yeah, of course, Taylor Swift, that was big news that she was there. Simone Biles was there. I mean, two of the biggest, you know, stars, you know, on the planet, basically. I mean, Simone Biles, anybody that knows anything about the Olympics across, you know, earth would know who she is. And then obviously Taylor Swift, you know, a huge pop star. Um, so just crazy to think in small town Green Bay that you have that kind of star power hanging around. Uh, I think I saw something on X that, uh, Bobby Portis from the Bucks was there. 
I'm sure there was a handful of other celebrities. Uh, gosh, what was her name? Liz Morgan or some some girl that's in wrestling. She she was all over social media because she did like the countdown to the roll out the barrel song. So if you haven't been to Lambo, like Lambo's version of the jump around is is playing roll out the barrel in the fourth quarter. And I don't know, it's, it's all right, kind of a you know fun song if you're partying a little bit. But I don't know if it's a great stadium song. You know, it's got made up lyrics like Zing Boom Terrero. I mean, Terrero, I don't think is an actual word. I'll, I'm not sure. But um, so, yeah, that was uh, somewhere that, you know, they get someone to do that countdown. You know, hey, we're going to start the song in three, two, one, whatever. Um, so that was some gal from WWE that did that. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting overall night. You know, the the star power Sunday night football, December football Packers are, you know, kind of creeping back into the playoff hunt playoffs and then uh of course they're defending super bowl champs and and mvp type quarterback uh patrick mahomes coming to town so you know a lot of excitement i can't remember honestly in in the last two three years being more excited for a home packer game um you know and i think that's just the overall vibe right now you know for years and and i hate to sound like spoiled but you know when you have a guy like rogers and going back to Favre. Uh, once they kind of get established, you know, you're, you're getting everybody's best shot at Lambeau Field. And over all those years, it's not often that you've been kind of, you know, as a Packer fan that you're rooting for the upstart uh, young team, you know, the underdog. Uh, so that was something I had mentioned to my buddy Neil walking in. It was kind of a, you know, just a different vibe, a fun vibe to go into Lambeau, you know, a team that you're kind of excited about that they're on the rise, you know, Jordan Love and the offense starting to figure it out lately. And, um, you know, figured out. Yeah, figured out. Figured out. They did figure it out, and then uh, they they go against you know the Super Bowl champs. You know, they used to kind of always kind of be the Packers, right? When when Rodgers was in his prime and Favre was in his prime, you know, the Packers were the team that you know those those other teams would really you know give them their best shot and want to beat the Packers. And and now the Chiefs are kind of like that team, and the Packers are a little bit the upstart and the younger team. Uh, so that whole you know atmosphere climate you know whatever you want to say uh, to me was pretty exciting last night and again i i've been to tons of packer games going on almost 40 years maybe give or take and uh this this one was memorable definitely in terms of anticipation and excitement you know even before kickoff and just you know looking forward to going to the game so speaking speaking of the game let's just get right into some of that uh you know recap of uh the game last night um I just, I guess, I'll just get it uh, right, right, out, right out of the way, right off the bat. Here um, is, is really just want to give out, like, you know how the, you see the videos of, you know, giving out game balls in the locker room and stuff like that. Well, you know, try to imagine that in that kind of atmosphere here when I give out my try awards. Uh, so, you know, right now we we would just be going around the locker room and and doing one of these to everyone. Totally redeem yourself on the coaching staff. So let's just, you know, give a give a, a try award. Totally to the whole coaching staff because you know this might have been their most complete game uh you know i think the the part that in some of these better games recently the the special teams has you know had a couple of letdowns you know missed field goal here and there something and uh you know in general uh the defense the special teams and and of course the offense all played pretty well last night um so that's where i think you know it's important and Talking to Neil last night, giving you a couple of uh, credits here, Neil. Um, you know, he he kept emphasizing the coaches and how he gives a lot of credit to the coaches. And I, I guess I hadn't thought about that much. They're so easy to criticize, and I've done plenty of criticisms uh, of Coach Lafleur and his approach this year. Uh, but yeah, it definitely makes sense that when you have such a young squad and they're and they're now trending in the right direction. They're at five hundred six and six, winning you know four out of five, whatever it is now. 
Um, you know, definitely a lot of credit to that coaching staff for kind of staying the course. You know, I guess some of the some of the resurgence of the offense is due to Lafleur, according to some of the commentary I've heard. You know, kind of kind of taking the training wheels off of the playbook and and just letting Love you know cut it loose more and and just run the normal offense. And I think that's become pretty obvious. Uh, I know I at least said this, and I'm sure many others in terms of whoever follows the Packers or talks about Packers. Um, you know, it just looks so odd the first, you know, month and a half, you know, kind of herky jerky type of offense. It just didn't seem like what we were expecting from, you know, Lafleur's motion play action type of offense. Um, and now it definitely seems we're getting a much clearer picture of what Matt Lafleur's offense would look like with so much motion and play action, you know, and sticking a bit with the run game. Uh, so that's been a great job by the coaching staff. And then, you know, the defense, uh, there, there's still some concerns there, but to hold Patrick Mahomes and, and basically, you know, a few games in a row now that they've held up pretty well, uh, if nothing else, you know, when you just look at the points allowed, they only allowed 19 points here uh, and been saying all season, uh, kind of a football thing is if you can, you know, kind of the over under on your defense or your points allowed is, is 20. Uh, so the more that the Packers are keeping people to 20 and under, uh, obviously your, your chances of winning are probably better. Um, so defense play well, and then also the special teams, I thought, was pretty efficient, effective, if not important uh, late in the game. Uh, of course, you got a rookie kicker, Anders Carlson, you know, not having kicked in December elements or outdoor, you know, December at Lambeau Field uh, before. And he, he made both his uh, field goals late in the game or later, second half, let's say. Uh, so that was very important uh, to, to have him. Uh, put that put that game a little more out of reach in terms of making it an eight point game at the end. Uh, he had the sack and and that was that was no chip shot. Uh, so really complimentary football last night. All three phases: offense, defense, special teams, doing a good job. And that's why the whole coaching totally staff, I say, yourself. you know, totally redeemed themselves. And I'm sorry that'll be the last I hit the try button tonight or this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, uh, because. Um, you know, that's a little much, but they deserved it. They deserved it. Great job by the Packer coaching staff. Obviously, the players executed pretty well, um, but it looked like a solid game plan in all three phases last night. And now, believe it or not, the Packers are actually uh, holding down. If the playoffs started today kind of thing, the Packers would be your seventh uh, playoff spot in the NFC. They'd, they'd have a wild card spot. So, yeah, it, I think we can now... So you're telling me there's a chance. Right? Right? Yeah! <laughs> so for sure, Packers totally have a chance for the playoffs. I've been doing my goofy playoffs voice all year uh, with such a, a goofy season for these Packers. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're officially uh, in, the, in the playoff picture now. They're not even in the hunt. Again, if the playoffs started today, uh, your Green Bay Packers would be the last wildcard team in. Uh, with a record of six and six, they hold the tiebreaker over the Rams, who are six and six. Uh, so getting that win last night, when you look at the standings and, and if you sort them by the playoffs right now, uh, you'd see the Packers being the the final wild card team in the NFC. So that's just crazy, right? Amazing to, to see how much of a turnaround it's been from like a month ago. Some of the talk on on the analysis and TV, whatever, is uh, talked about. You know, the Packers had a stretch of forty. That's four zero. 40 days without getting a win early in the year. And I know part of that's, you know, quirky scheduling stuff. They had a Thursday game by week and, you know, they weren't playing games every week for sure. But uh, that's a long stretch without a win. And then you get yourself to December football and find yourself uh, playing your best football. That's when it's the most important. So a lot of credit to LaFleur. 
Uh, I have to uh, really own some of my criticisms back, and I, I even remind myself all the time it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, but still, as a Packer fan, it can get kind of frustrating, you know, watching the games and just how crummy they looked. I mean, they had, you know, three touchdowns against the Chiefs or two touchdowns in the first half against the Chiefs. Uh, they had trouble getting two first downs in a half, uh, you know, in a couple games there, whether it was the Raiders, I forget, or, or whoever they were playing. They, they didn't get a first down to like, you know, end, end of the half. Um, so that was awesome to just see that, that offense come to life and, and look more efficient and really, you know, obviously not even efficient. I mean, they're, they're doing a great job. They, um, back-to-back touchdown drives to get it started. Um, I got a link. I only have one link because of the quick turnaround here from yesterday and, and going to the game, but, uh, yeah, Jordan Love definitely starting to get some love, so to speak in the media, uh, teams now, you know, some, some of us here at my cheese had life a little ahead of that curve. And we were ready to commit to love going back a couple weeks, I think, ahead of the, the Detroit game. Uh, so good on us for, for being a little ahead of that curve with the media now jumping on the love bandwagon. Uh, but I do have a link that if you want to read some write-up from Yahoo about um, uh, love and his success lately, I got one for you there. But, yeah, I touched on uh, the couple of opening drives, and I think that was really key. Uh, going into this game, or at least during the start, I think, well, let me uh, set it up a little bit. What I really liked, and I mentioned this last time we talked about the Detroit game, was that Coach LaFleur, when given the choice, took the football, the opening kick. And I believe against Detroit, they went right down and scored. Um, you know, so the normal kind of analytics approach nowadays or whatever, if it is analytics, I don't know, but I guess I just like to maybe just attribute everything to analytics nowadays that I don't understand. But, um, defer every team basically defers because they all think well we'll kick you know we'll stop the other team and then we'll get the ball at half you know kind of get an extra possession out of it long story long um and so last night that's all i mean these games even for a couple years that's always a big anticipation for me it's like are we gonna win the toss and then if we win the toss are we gonna defer i sure hope we don't defer (laughs) because that you know to me putting the packer defense out on the field first has never been a wise decision I shouldn't say never, but let's just say the last three, four years. And uh, last night, opening uh, coin toss goes to the Chiefs. So they defer. And then I was like, you know, kind of a a little sigh of relief to get started. I'm like, good, we're going to get the ball first, keep Mahomes and the MVP offense off the field. And man, did that work out perfectly. So I really hope Coach LaFleur considers the, the idea of just taking that ball. I mean, to me, that's reminiscent of like 1990s Mike Holmgren football. Um, you know, and I don't think you were given the choice to defer back then. I think that's a relatively new option, uh, aligning with college football, uh, choices. You know, that was more of like a high school and college thing, you know, youth, younger football, they always had that defer. And when I was a kid watching the NFL, it was like, if you won the toss, you almost always received, you know, you wanted the ball first and there was no option to defer. It was either, would you kick or would you receive? And, and honestly, if you decided to kick first, it was kind of considered like a middle finger to the other team. Like you didn't respect them enough that you were willing to give them the ball first. Well, that kind of all got out the window once the NFL allowed the choice to defer. And I don't know why it's such a big difference to just say I'm deferring my choice to the second half uh, compared to, you know, the original two options of kicking or receiving. But anyways, kind of, kind of getting a, a short story long here, but very glad to see the Packers get the opening kick, and I hope Matt LaFleur considers taking the opening kick every week here on out, uh, at least this season or until you have a dominant defense, because it worked out great. This is, like I said, 
kind of reminiscent of 1990s football when when the Packers were building, you know, let's say a, a mini dynasty going to a couple Super Bowls in the playoffs several years in a row, Favre and a pretty good defense uh, to go with it, good special teams with Desmond Howard for several years. Um, it, that That's kind of more how the approach went. You know, teams would want the ball to keep it out of Brett Favre's hands in the, the first quarter or something like that. Or if, if you played, uh, you know, the 2000 Rams, you'd, you'd want the ball on the opening kick and try to control the ball to keep their offense off the field. Uh, and again, with the defer option, that's all kind of gone out the window, that approach. Everybody just wants to try to get that double dip uh, possession at the end of the half and then the opening kickoff to start the second half. Uh, so I, I was very glad we we got the ball. The Packers got the ball, and then it worked out just like you would hope. Uh, Packers controlled uh, the ball in that first drive, seven and a half minutes or something like that. Kept Patrick Mahomes off the field. Uh, you know, it just doesn't let him get in the rhythm. You know, it's not super duper cold, and they have plenty of uh, heaters and all that. But still, I mean, you're sitting there after all that hype and anticipation, and now you know, 20, 25 minutes go by before you probably get the football. Uh, and then, you know, we know the Chiefs got the ball. They had a nice drive of their own, but the Packers kind of doing their, uh, the epitome of bend but don't break was the first couple possessions. Kansas City moved the ball well, you know, a lot of first downs, but ultimately they couldn't punch it in. Um, Packers got several sacks. I think all three of their sacks were early in the game when, when Kansas City was getting into the red zone, and then that would kind of stall the drives with sacks or maybe even penalties. And then, um, you know, so while the Packers were getting a couple of opening drive touchdowns, the Chiefs are answering with field goals, and then your halftime score was fourteen to six. I mean, it, just methodical drives by both teams. Very few possessions. It was kind of unique that way. Uh, first half moved along. It seemed pretty quickly because when you're going, you know, first down, first down, and really besides the injuries uh, that the Chiefs mostly were taking, uh, there wasn't a lot of reasons to stop the clock or stop play. Uh, so it just felt like that first half moved moved along pretty quickly. And yeah, again, it was just kind of neat sitting there seeing that move the chains kind of mentality. Not a lot of deep throws really by either team, and uh, that was that was kind of the, the thought I had afterwards. It kind of reminded me of the old 1990s football, uh, at least that West Coast style. That you know, I'll never forget Mike Holmgren coming to town and saying, you know, his approach has got to be just you know get first down, get first downs, you know, control the football, move the chains, and, and keep that opponent off the field and. And boy, did that work out well. You know, it helps keep your defense fresh, you know, keeps that, that superstar quarterback for their team off the field. Uh, so, again, hopefully Coach uh, Coach Holmgren, Coach LaFleur, uh, you know, really gives serious consideration to taking that opening possession whenever he gets the chance here the remainder of the season. And also to LaFleur's credit, I thought, I thought the play calling was really, you know, creative for the most part. I, you know, I don't really have too many examples where I was kind of like, well, that was kind of dumb. You know, the one that bothered me probably, and it was really just this one call that sticks out, was, you know, right at the end of the half. Again, you're going against a great team like the Chiefs. Uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen them be a little more aggressive. They had, I think, a delay a game or something. And and they were pretty smart with the clock. You know, they were, they were you know, working the clock and you know, making sure they weren't going to give Mahomes a chance before halftime. And, um, but it was like third and 15. And then, then, then they handed it off for like a two yard loss. And, and, Basically, that the, the, that little bit of a sequence, couple plays there, took them out of field goal range. So that that was disappointing. Where they might add an opportunity there, maybe you know, do a little check down or screen play or something to try to get five, ten, fifteen yards, and you can kick a field goal. Uh, so a little disappointing on that that particular possession that that Lafleur went a little bit conservative, just handed it off on second and or third and fifteen, and then they they punted it and, and pinned Kansas City back, and that was the end of the half. So. 
I mean, I guess, it, you know, obviously it worked out. They won the ball game. Uh, but generally, I really liked, you know, the opening, you know, jet sweep kind of reverse look to Jaden Reed. You know, I was kind of wondering going into that game with uh, Aaron Jones injury. Uh, you know, the, you can't just give every carry to A.J. Dillon. They got to figure something out. And, uh, you know, they did a nice mix of uh, giving it to a couple other guys um, and, and, and doing enough definitely in the running game. And good job, A.J. Dillon. He's not my favorite, you know. I, I don't think you can build an offense around him, but but he's really, uh, you know, one thing that I was thinking about. He's been available, you know, all the injuries and and guys that get nicked up. AJ Dillon's been there all year, uh, steady guy that they've been able, able to give the ball to and rely on, and he's improved. I mean, he's 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 looked a little more nimble these last few weeks. I think he averaged four yards a carry last night on eighteen carries. Um, yeah, 18 carries, 73 yards, 4.1 a carry, only along a 10, you know, so that's the downside with Dylan. You're not going to really see, uh, too many, uh, explosive, if any explosive plays from Dylan. And that's something I, you know, it'd be nice if they could figure that out in the run game, but they're trying, you know, they're trying to, to get some alternatives going. Uh, let's see what we got here. We have carries by one, two, three, four guys, uh, that aren't named Jordan Love. So you got Patrick Taylor at a couple carries, Christian Watson at a couple carries, um, and I'm not seeing Jaden Reed list, listed in here and he had like the first carry of the game. So I don't know on this like a uh, stat deal here, what's happening. Let's see if we can find it. Oh, well, that's weird. Yahoo. So maybe there's an extra guy or two that Yahoo's forgetting about here in the stats, but, uh, I'm not seeing Jaden Reed listed in the rushing stats. And I know he had at least two carries too. Um, so yeah, besides him, you had Patrick Taylor, two for 29 Watson had two for 15. Uh, love had two for 10 Robinson had one for two. Uh, so, so it'd be nice if they could get a little more variety in the run game, but I get it. You know, AJ Dillon, he's been there. He's been reliable. Uh, all the, all the complaining I've been doing about AJ Dillon and his lack of explosive plays, uh, still got to give him a, a lot of credit for being available and efficient and, uh, you know, really helping keeping that run game a little bit, a little bit of a, of a element for this offense, uh, without having Aaron Jones around. And then, uh, you know, again, just amazing the young playmakers that are stepping up. I, I started the season by calling them pass catchers. I was calling everybody a pass catcher. And now I think we can start to make the move to call them playmakers because they are stepping up. And I took a look at some of the numbers and, you know, I've said this a few times. A lot of people say this is a, you know, you just don't see rookies often making a huge impact on offense. You know, it might take them a year or two, maybe three. Remember, we always say Devontae Adams, Antonio Freeman, guys like that took a good three years before they felt or, you know, really were productive on offense um, and are steady contributors. And now when I take a look at some of these numbers in the passing game, so let's just kind of, you know, start at the top here. You know, we know Love had a good game, 267 yards, three touchdowns, 118 passer rating. Uh, so he's lighting it up now. And then if you look at the pass catchers or the playmakers, I should say, you got Dobbs and Watson at the top. So that's good. You know, the, the, the veterans, the guys that have been here, you know, a year and a half, uh, led, led the reception. So Dobbs four for 72, Watson seven for 71 and a couple of touchdowns. So nice to see those guys kind of leading the pack like you would have expected all year. But, uh, but then what I started to realize is I looked and so, uh, Jordan Love had 25 completions uh, 12 of those, almost half, were to rookies. So Dontavian Wicks had three, Tucker Craft had three, Jaden Reed had four, Malik Keith had one, and Ben Sims, the tight end, had that uh, first touchdown. Um, so yeah, 12 catches by rookies in, in a game against the Kansas City Chiefs last night where the Packers were leading the whole time. 
you know, doesn't that make you excited about the future of what these guys could do once they start to understand what they can do? I mean, these guys, you know, they're, they're just starting to, you know, I don't really want to wear it out, but let's do it one more time. Figure it out. You figure it out. You figure it out. They're really starting to figure it out. And it's, it'd be great to see, or, you know, looking forward to what they can do in another year, you know, Watson, Dobbs, those guys will be going into year three next year. And, and, if these guys are being productive as rookies in, in you know, all of a grand total of 12 games or whatever it is under their belts now, uh, imagine what they can do with a little more experience and an offseason in the weight room and all that stuff that, that goes into it. So uh, really impressive to see the young guys stepping up and continuing to step up and getting on the same page there with uh, Jordan Love and the, and the offensive game plan. Uh, mentioned a little bit too. Uh, good job by the, the special team. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I kind of squeezed in my own yeah there. Uh, so Anders Carlson, uh, two for two on field goals, long of 48, three for three on extra points. Um, so the less you talk about a kicker, the better, and you know, right. Cause they're not making uh, bad kicks or missing kicks. Um, but that was an important night. That was definitely an important, uh, piece of the piece of the game or piece of the production was having, having a rookie kicker, make a couple big kicks in the second half there to keep that game out of reach from the chiefs. Um, so it was a great job there. Special teams, like I said, kind of the. Uh, all three phases working together nicely. And then I do have one correction from what I mentioned uh, yesterday, I think it was. Uh, I had mentioned that Lafleur. I, I thought it was 15-0 and 0 at home because it just seems odd. Like, I couldn't imagine him. It, to me, that, you know, usually those undefeated type of streaks are, like, connected to Lambeau, December football, or something like that. So I need to I need to come clean, and apparently I learned that that's that's his all time record. I thought fifteen home games in December seemed like a lot for a guy that's only like in his fifth year or whatever uh, as coaching the team, and and come to find out, and I think they showed this on the broadcast, and yeah, that's another thing I did. If I sound a little groggy, I stayed up, so I get home about midnight, and then I'm such a homer that I watch that whole doggone game still on the DVR, so I can you know skip the commercials, skip halftime. It's pretty quick, but. Yeah, I'm I'm a little tired today. That that's being honest. Um, don't do that on the losses. You know, I'm kind of like, yeah, well, let's just throw the film away. We won't film study some, a lot of the losses. But yeah, when they have a nice game, and I'm at the I'm at, I'm at Lambo, I like to kind of get home and watch that broadcast. Uh, but anyways, I think I saw it on the broadcast. Now with the win, uh, Matt Lafleur is 16 and 0 in December all time. Like that's not Lambo. That's not you know anything specific to to Green Bay. That's his record in December. And so, you know, always the, the big football mantra is you want to be playing your best football in November and December. And you can't really do any better than 16-0 and in December. I, I hope that streak doesn't come to an end this year. Um, but I, I think in, in a lot of my criticisms of Matt LaFleur, uh, I may have overlooked how efficient he's been in December. Definitely have overlooked that. And I know a lot of that's been helped with uh, guys like named Aaron Rodgers and you know, the relaxed comments or whatever. He said some of those things to, to, have, to help him go on win streaks uh, late in the year. Uh, but, but either way, uh, kind of neat to see uh, that success by head coach Matt LaFleur in December. 16-0 and now after knocking off the Chiefs last night in uh, the first game of December here for the Packers. And, uh, you know, besides, you know, kind of, again, tough to find things, don't really need to find things, want to find things to criticize after such a great game, but always looking for areas of improvement. Uh, you know, kind of, I watch a lot of Gordon Ramsay shows and it's kind of like when he has a dish that he likes and he's, hmm, what would I change? What would be, you know, what, what would be one thing I could change or criticize? So, you know, for me, the, 
the the thing that's still a concern is the defense and the tackling. Um, you know, a lot of lot of a lot of yards on the ground, and you know, going home and watching it last night and kind of seeing it a second time, like definitely uh, that that running back uh, Pacheco, you know, dragging tacklers and guys kind of tackling up high around the shoulder pads and stuff. So so those extra yards just kind of continued to pile up in the run game. So I think the Packers really got to get a little more. Uh, Working there, as Coach McCarthy used to say, their pad level. I think they need to get down a little bit lower, uh, trying to approach these ball carriers for tackling. Because yeah, I got a little old watching in not even just the ball carriers, but some of the receivers uh, kind of spin out of tackles or drag, you know, tacklers or everybody kind of, you know, the feet are chugging and they're picking up two, three, four extra yards. Um, so hopefully that defense can get a little more settled on their tackling. Uh, but generally speaking, another solid effort again with 19 points. Uh, I'm I'm a little concerned. I think there's a if there's like the good news and bad news. Good news: Packers definitely trending up. Offense looking better. Uh, Packer fans having way more fun. Bad news is: Are we gonna be stuck with Joe Barry, defensive coordinator, for another year because they're doing better? Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, the numbers are what they are. The defense is doing better. We'll look at kind of the the year numbers uh, on Wednesday when we preview the Packers' next game and where there's in you know kind of the rankings of their defensive numbers. Um, but it's still not like a dominant defense, a defense you can seem to rely on, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to describe. I, I, and I didn't look this up before talking here today, but, I mean, did we blitz at all? I mean, I get it. You know, you got Patrick Mahomes. You want to play some coverage. But, I mean, their receivers aren't scary by any means anymore. I mean, MVS can go deep. But other than that, you know, it's not the days of having Tyreek Hill for sure. Uh, you know, you got Kelsey, you got to keep an eye on, and he got loose wide open a few times. I mean, really, if there's one guy you got to cover, it's Kelsey, right? So that part was a little frustrating in addition to the poor tackling at times. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, hey, they got the job done. They got a few sacks on Mahomes uh, early in the game that allowed them to, you know, kind of be in control and not, not uh, or keep, I should say, keep the Chiefs out of the end zone. Uh, Lucas Van Ness, uh, the rookie, you know, speaking of rookies, he had a sack early in the game, so nice to see him contributing. Uh, Second-year guy, Devontae Wyatt, half a sack. Rashawn Gary, half a sack. Kenny Clark, half a sack. Preston Smith, half a Everybody, let, you get a half a sack. You get a half a sack. Everybody gets a half a sack. Um, so good uh, team effort uh, for the defense. Quay Walker racking up the tackles. Love seeing Quay Walker out there again after, you know, being off and on with some injuries this year. 13 tackles for Quay. Corey Ballantyne had 10 tackles. Um, so a lot of guys, you know, I don't want to say no name guys, but you know, just guys stepping up and doing their jobs and, and making contributions. And that's been pretty awesome to see. So we'll start to, uh, you know, I, before I start to wind it down here, this will be a little bit, maybe shorter installment. We got to get to some indoor soccer here tonight and, you know, kind of just want to get kind of a reaction upload here to the, to the game yesterday. Um, but so we got to talk about the last couple of minutes and of course, you know, plenty Everybody say, well, they missed the pass interference call and, you know, and I kind of get it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to walk in that, those shoes of, okay, if I, if, if the Packers didn't have Hall of Fame quarterbacks for 30 years, you know, what would this be like? And I think that's what we kind of saw last night. Patrick Mahomes getting some of these calls, the Chiefs getting some of these calls. And then it's just like outrage if they don't get a call. And that was that last, uh, would be pass interference, um, Carrington Valentine covering MVS. Now, to me, a little bit of a asterisk here is this is all assuming that like MVS would catch a pass, right? You know, like can can you interfere a guy who has a lot of drops? I don't know, just kind of a joke there. But uh, so yeah, it looked pretty much like interference, you know. But I've seen worse. I'd say not get called. I don't know. I mean, at least Valentine 
was going for the ball. I mean, he got his hand on the ball. I mean, you see a lot of guys with their arm that gets tugged and they never turn and look for the ball and, and guys are trying to catch it with like one hand and they don't call interference on some of that stuff because you can kind of be kind of subtle and pull on, you know, an off arm or something. Uh, and, and so to me, that was, I don't know. I think I hate it when there's so much made about one, one call like that, you know, in an average game, you might have 60, 70, I don't know, 80 plays or something maybe. And then to say, Oh, it all boiled down to kind of one call like that. So let's, if we want to talk about bad calls, we all know the Patrick Mahomes call was terrible with the, with Jonathan Owens, giving him a good shot right at the sidelines. And that might make Jonathan, Jonathan Owens, my new favorite Packer, because he shows some some physicality out there and Mahomes has been doing this for years where he kind of sneaks along the sidelines and he likes to put out that football like Russell Wilson and get an extra yard. And finally, you know, it's just nice to me. I, I like to see some elements of physical football still. Uh, so I, I appreciate that Jonathan Owens just, you know, went out there and gave him a good shot. And of course the penalty and all the highlights and replays are showing he was still in bounds. So that was total BS. Um, and then the, the clock stoppage MVS catches a, a pass and then he he tries to get out of bounds, but the defender, the Packer player, definitely stops his forward progress and is kind of dragging him. I don't even know if MVS literally got out of bounds. I mean, it was so weird. Like, he just stuck the football out towards the sidelines, and next thing you know, the referee is, you know, blowing it like the clock is dead, um, or the clock stops. And so that, to me, was way bad. I mean, even at the stadium that was on the opposite side of the field, I'm like, his forward progress was stopped. I was yelling, like, come on, that is obvious. And so before you get into talking about maybe there should have been pass interference on the Hail Mary, maybe the clock should have already ran out because MBS was tackled inbounds. I mean, that's what gets, like, we can do this all day. If then or that, you know, things happen, right? There's a lot of different circumstances. So a little bit frustrating to see so much talk about uh, a couple of penalties or non-calls that affected the game. So like I said, I like to try to come home, watch some of the highlights or even watch, you know, the DVR of the game right away. So I get home, I'm about to, you know, uh, get ready for bed and turn on the TV and watch some of the footage. And the first thing you see is like, oh, good, uh, Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt is on. We'll get his take. They're doing highlights. You know, I like about, oh, I caught it right at the right time. And like literally the first thing I hear is Scott Van Pelt say, well, this is the play of the game. And I'm like, oh, was this one of the touchdowns or, you know, the interception or something by Keyshawn Nixon? And no, he was pointing out that stupid interference non-call against MBS. And then he goes on to say, oh, well, they, they would have got to the five, and he brings on that other Hasselback, Tim Hasselback, whatever one I think didn't play much in the NFL, but it's on ESPN. Um, and they go on like a five-minute rant about how that non-call, oh, man, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have been, they're so deadly inside the five-yard line. Oh, Andy Reid is the most creative head coach inside the 10-yard line. You know, whatever things they were saying. And I'm like, are you guys serious? Like, did you not see the Packers? keep the chiefs out of the end zone, their first two possessions. I mean, they got inside the 10, they got sacked. They had penalties. The Packers played pretty good defense down there. And, and now these, you know, experts, these, uh, you know, sports center guys are like, Oh, player of the game was this, you know, non-call interference. And, you know, basically saying like, it's a slam dunk that the chiefs would have scored, would have got a two point and probably would have probably could have, would have, should have went on to win the game. Uh, if it weren't for this, uh, goofy non-interference. And then, so then, you know, just to kind of get my mind off of that, I was like, I mean, it was like 1230 in the morning. I'm like getting a little fired up. Like, come on guys, this is, are you serious? You know, Jordan Love had three touchdowns. They had a good interception. I mean, it was a good game. I mean, these were two teams that were probably more evenly matched than people would give them credit for. Like I said, you know, the, 
the Chiefs don't really have the perimeter weapons that instill fear in people anymore. Their defense, yeah, it's, their numbers are good, but they haven't been known for having a great defense. I mean, besides uh, Chris Jones, I mean, do they have a ton of all-stars on defense? So, I don't know, it just seemed like the media uh, really wanted to see Kansas City get a win, I guess. And so, like I said, this is where I'm trying to be like, all right, I guess, you know, all those years, Aaron Rodgers and all everybody would hate how much everybody was in all the, you know, Chris Collinsworth and all those types would talk about Rodgers. You know, so maybe we're getting a flavor of that now as we don't have the Hall of Fame bona fide all-pro quarterback and we have to listen to, to the commentators talk about the guy on the other sidelines. Uh, and then, so yeah, so then I started like, all right, I'll get away from this. I'll watch the DVR. I'll enjoy the game. I'll, I'll get back in a happy place. And then I get to the end of that doggone game and I start hearing Collinsworth go off about that that interference. And then the, and then the Hail Mary interference, they start going off. They show like five doggone replays as the game is over. Not one comment about, hey, great job, Packers. You know, Jordan Love, wow, you know, national TV comes out and throws three touchdowns against Mahomes, blah, blah, blah. You know, normally a lot of stuff you'd probably hear if there was kind of an upset win like that. But these guys couldn't get off watching replays of a non-call, you know, referee thing. And uh, that was pretty frustrating, if you you can't tell. I don't rant much, but that was something I want to rant about a bit. Um because it just seemed a little over the top. You know, there's there's just so many plays in a game, so many things that go back and forth, um, and, and it just seemed way too much emphasis on those couple non-interference calls when you when you also had on that same last couple minutes the MVS thing where he didn't get out of bounds, but they stopped the clock, and then also the, the bogus free 15 yards they gave to Mahomes for, you know, someone, God forbid, tried to tackle him in bounds, geez. And I'll say this about Mahomes. He at least stood up in his press conference and he said, you know, yeah, you know, it probably was interference at the end there, but, you know, Mahomes said he's in favor of letting guys play, you know, letting it get decided on the field, and he wasn't going to gripe about it. So good on Mahomes. I like Mahomes. He seems like a, a guy that, I, you know, I can root for a little bit, respect his, his approach to the game. And, um, you know, he was willing to stand in his press conference and say, he didn't, you know, you got to make more plays. You can't let it come down to that. So good on him. And I'll say this, watching Mahomes and what I've said a few times about the lack of weapons on, on the perimeter for the Chiefs, it reminds me of Aaron Rodgers, I don't know, three, four years ago, whatever it was. You know, there was some analysis and numbers that were saying how he had, like, literally the slowest group of wide receivers in the NFL based on whatever metrics were being used. And, um, you know, I know they, they like that uh, Rasheed Rice uh, rookie, but yeah, kind of like the Packers relying on a rookie pass catcher, you know, with Jaden Reed when when Watson was out and the, the offense was sputtering. Uh, so you kind of see that same thing going on with the Chiefs here, you know, except their defense might be a little more stout than Rodgers had access to, you know, going back a few years. Um, but yeah, I mean, MVS, he had two for 25. He's like, I think their highest paid receiver and just, you know, he's not really doing much on five targets. He had two catches. Um, you know, and then I'm looking besides Travis Kelsey. I mean, it's Rasheed Rice had a nice game, eight catches for 64. Um, and then I don't, I mean, Sky Moore had one catch, Richie James. I mean, who are these guys? So Mahomes has, has got a tall order to try to repeat this year. I think I just, I'm not sure Kansas City has the weapons around them. You know, they're still the defending Super Bowl champs. So of course they're getting all the hype and, you know, everybody thinks about those penalties that should have been called for Mahomes and, and, you know, they should have won, but like I said, I think on paper these teams, or at least the rosters, are probably more even than people realize or would give or would think, you know. And then a couple other little uh, noteworthy items I saw is that uh, game balls were given out to Jordan Love and Keyshawn Nixon. It was funny. Coach LaFleur gave Nixon credit, um, besides the interception, for not uh, retaliating against the, the swing and the punch that was thrown at him by Isaiah Pacheco that resulted in Pacheco getting ejected. 
Uh, so it was kind of funny to see uh, Keyshawn Nixon get recognized, if you will, for that. And I think I saw maybe another blip where Watson got a game ball for having a couple touchdowns. Unfortunately, we saw Watson get that injury. Uh, it looks like a hamstring. I don't have any updates on how severe that is, but you know, it just it. Uh, you know, the guy's got so much potential, and he shows it here and there. And then you know, you see those injuries, and like I've been saying all year, that's that's the problem with young guys. You never know who's going to be durable, who's going to be there every week until they can prove it a few years. And and right now, it's it's tough with with Christian Watson. I mean, I think it, you know the efforts there. He's a willing blocker. You know, it, it's none of that. You just you know, like any fan, you wonder what goes on behind the scenes and the training and and how these hamstring injuries can pop up. Uh, maybe a poor choice of words, pop and hamstring uh, together, but. Uh, we'll hope for the best with Watson, but I got to assume he'll be shut down for a week or two the way he was kind of gimping off the field. But also encouraging that, you know, he looked like he was still enjoying the game from the bench or the sidelines. You know, it wasn't so severe that he had to go into the locker room or something or go into the street clothes. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunate to see. Uh, you know, a great night. Uh, loved, loved the play call there to try to wind down the game and, and run the clock and then to see Watson go down, you know, definitely put a little bit of a, a damper on an otherwise awesome night at Lambeau. And then speaking of Lambeau, yeah, there was quite a few uh, Chiefs fans there. Saw a lot of red hats. I mean, it kind of seemed a little bit like a, a a big Where's Waldo convention. I don't know those the the red snow caps were all over, even on the bench for the Chiefs. Their hats kind of looked like Santa hats or Where's Waldo hats. Uh, so that was kind of something I thought was a little bit funny. Look, it looked like a ton of Waldos were in Lambeau Field. Um, but I tell you what, you keep winning games like that, and you're putting up three touchdowns on with your offense. Defense plays solid. You'll see fewer fans wanting to buy tickets. I mean, opposing fans. You know, no one wants to come to Lambeau to see their team get beat. And so I said that. You know, when there's a lot of griping about the Detroit game and all the Detroit fans there. You know, I get it. Like you're you're selling tickets online nowadays. Everything's digital. You can't really control who buys your tickets as much as you used to. And um, if you don't want to see opposing fans in your stadium, well, then win more games. They're not going to buy tickets to come to Lambeau if they think they're going to get beat, right? Uh, you, you've seen a lot of these fans start to scoop up the, the tickets at Lambeau Field because, one, they're a little bit costly to go watch a team lose if, if, if the Packers are struggling like they were earlier in the year. And then, two, you know, teams like Detroit or whatever, this is like a bucket list item to go watch your team get a win at Lambeau. Uh, so, again, that'll be my, my two cents on trying to keep those opposing fans out of the stadium. Just win more games at home, and you won't see as many opposing fans there at Lambeau. And, uh, yeah, so that'll kind of put the wraps on my, my take on the Panker game. And then uh, we'll just, as long as we're sitting here on a case of the Mondays, we'll take a look around the league at some noteworthy items. Uh, we won't hit on everything here because, you know, as we're starting to see, some of these teams are separating good from the bad, and, and we don't need to dwell on some of these poor teams. But, uh, you know, probably the biggest news was the 49ers. I mentioned yesterday I was a little surprised that they were a three-point favorite going into uh, Philadelphia. Well, apparently everybody was wrong on that, including, I mean, they should have been a 20-point favorite because 49ers stomped the Eagles 42-19. to I think at one point I heard they had six straight uh, possessions with a touchdown, the 49ers. So I think we can expect to see the 49ers at the top of the power rankings, even though they might they have three losses. Um, but that's, that looks like to be... Um, uh, Philly has two, yeah. Philly has two losses. So, but I think with that, with that beat down, we'll see San Francisco at the top of the power rankings when we check on that on Hump Day. Um, around the NFC North, uh, actually, Minnesota and Chicago were both on bye, uh, so nothing going on there. But Detroit, uh, they they got out to a big lead against uh, New Orleans. I watched the first quarter or so of this game and then flipped over to the Houston game because Detroit was already up like seventeen to nothing. 
Uh, but New Orleans made a game out of it. The final on that one was 33-28. to 28. So Detroit still maybe, you know, not quite as dominant as they were looking. Remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So we'll see how Detroit holds up here as we get into December football. And, uh, you know, teams, these are starting to look like, you know, playoffs. Uh, you have to be ready. And uh, these teams are going to give you their best shot. I mean, New Orleans, they're trying to stay competitive in their division. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting there that New Orleans gave Detroit all they could handle. Uh, our friends in New York, the Jets, that is, keeping an eye on that draft pick that they're they're keeping warm for the Packers. Uh, well, I'm pleased to report the Jets continue to stink on offense. Uh, Atlanta Falcons beat the Jets 13-8. to I'm sure that was lovely to watch. I believe the Jets had a safety and two field goals, so don't start getting carried away that they scored a touchdown. Um, so that Jets uh, draft pick continues to get pushed higher and higher. I think the Jets now sitting at 4-8. and eight. Uh, so Packers will have their second round pick. And as far as the Bills, we have their third round pick from the um, Rasul Douglas trade going back about a month or so. And uh, Bills were off. They were on bye as well. Again, last of the bye weeks. So Baltimore, Buffalo, Chicago, Las Vegas, Minnesota, Giants were all on bye. Um, but but that'll be the end of the bye weeks. And, um, yeah, Chargers also kind of ugly. Just, you know, pointing this out because, you know, all the years of watching New England and, and Belichick, you know, dominate and, and, you know, win Super Bowls, all that stuff. Well, they really suck on offense. Uh, I saw this interesting stat. So the Chargers beat New England 6 nothing. I don't know who was pitching, but it must have been a pretty good game, right? And um, it was, if you hold the team to 10 points or less, the NFL as a whole is 53-0, and zero, except for New England. So New England's offense is so bad. If they've, and that I saw this year, Holding teams to ten points or less, they're one and three, and the rest of the NFL is fifty-three and zero. Uh, so that's pretty amazing. You know, when we were hitting rock bottom as Packer fans, you know, I was looking around the league for reasons to be optimistic. So at least we're not the Patriots. At least we're not the Jets. We seem to be in better position at the quarterback uh, spot, at least right now, than those two teams. So uh, things are trending up for the Packers while we're keeping an eye on some of them other teams for sure. And then you see some of these injuries and quarterbacks getting injured. I mean, there, there's some teams that are really hurting for good quarterback play, and it's been, you know, wow, what a kind of a sigh of relief that Jordan Love has been, you know, effective, efficient. You know, yeah, he's still missing some things here and there, but he continues to grow and improve uh, definitely in a better spot than a number of teams around the league at the quarterback spot. And then there is still one game tonight here on Monday. Uh, the Bengals will be going into uh, Jacksonville, five and six Bengals. Uh, they're they're without their starting quarterback. Joe Burrow got hurt, so uh, not really, you know, probably a great game to be watching. Jacksonville's a 10-point favorite uh, at 8-3, and three. Uh, so that's your Monday night game here at 7-15 tonight on Monday. And uh, that's pretty much going to do it for me here on the case of the Mondays, uh, doing a nice little recap and, and wrap-up of uh, uh, last night's Packer game. Thanks, anybody, for listening. Remember to uh, like and subscribe. Uh, that's YouTube, I guess. Never mind. Uh, give me a follow. Share it with your friends and, and whatever else. I'll uh, do my best to do a hump day installment. We'll look ahead at week 14. We'll, we'll check in with our Nate Davis power rankings from USA Today. It'll be interesting to see where the Packers end up after a couple big wins. And then uh, we'll take a look at some of the basketball teams in Wisconsin. Uh, Badgers, Bucks, and uh, Marquette. We'll check in on our basketball Jones. So thanks everyone for listening and have a great rest of your week.